This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind, I give you Super Train. Oh, Episode 315's mission number 655 Camp Wilder. Camp Wilder aired on ABC from September 18, 1992 to February 26, 1993, for 20 episodes, one of which went unaired. There's not even a synopsis for it. ABC was riding high on the strength of its sitcom block, most notably the TGIF block, which wouldn't, you know, formally be a thing until, what, 1990? 1989? 89. We already established this. One of the shows that would be a sitcom success for ABC was The Wonder Years. Now, why do I bring up The Wonder Years? Besides the fact that it's awesome. Because one of its writers, Matthew Carlson, had an idea about what would happen if you had a family sitcom without the parents. What? It's a family sitcom without the parents. And from that we get this show. A show about three siblings... Their friends and one little kid because this is still a family sitcom. Yeah, it's 1992, 1993. You have to have a cute little kid in your show. Precocious little kid. The main characters in this family are the three kids Ricky Wilder, a 28 year old nurse and single mother, Brody Wilder, a high schooler. And Melissa Wilder, a middle schooler who can't seem to bring herself to like her two siblings. Oh, well. Isn't that always the way it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, okay, Ricky is sort of the reluctant adult figure. Brody is middle kid syndrome. And Melissa's like, I can't believe I'm related to these two. 
But aside from these three, you also have Ricky's daughter, Sophie, and Brody and Melissa's melange of best friends. Altogether, they make up perhaps the most unlikely of family dynamics. They call it Camp Walter. Now, this show actually takes place in media res, meaning everything is just assumed to be understood as the show begins its run. I mean, we don't get any sort of exposition at the beginning. We just see, okay, here are three siblings, their friends, and Ricky's daughter. And hilarity is supposed to ensue. We're all supposed to know this. So I guess it was a hard sell from the word go. But let's get into the brass tacks of the series and figure out why Camp Wazer didn't last as long as many of its TGIF compatriots. So the synopsis goes, Ricky Wilder is a 28-year-old nurse and single mother, raising her family in her childhood home after the death of her parents. Ricky's only actual child was her six-year-old daughter, Sophie, but she was also the principal guardian to her two teenage siblings, 16-year-old Brody and 13-year-old Melissa. From the time their parents died, Ricky understood that she couldn't change out of her persona as the cool, approachable older sister and mix parenting tactics in with the setting of a casual laissez-faire household. In fact, the atmosphere of the Wilder house was so laid back that many of the neighborhood kids, including Brody and Melissa's friends, sought it as a refuge from the stricter, more confining homes run by their traditional parents. Then Ricky welcomes them all in with open arms and open seats at their dinner table. Aww. Among the regular inhabitants were Brody's off-kilter best friend, Dorfman, and Melissa's best friends, Beth and Danielle. Of course, many other friends and classmates of theirs drop in and act as de facto kids, and people generally got on with each other. Most notably, Danielle's unrequited crush, Dexter, a hip motorcycle riding bad boy. So he wasn't a genius inventor? No, he was not. Oh, damn it. I was hoping this was going to be some kind of prequel to Dexter's Laboratory. Sorry. No, he's not a genius inventor. And no, he is not a coroner with murder on his mind. So, let's talk about who actually played who in Camp Walter. The eldest sibling, Ricky, was played by Mary Page Keller, who would have just been coming off of doing baby talk on the network, which may or may not, depending on who you ask, be a ripoff of the Look Who's Talking franchise. Oh, it was definitely a ripoff of Look Who's Talking. I know it was a ripoff. They acknowledged it as such in the uh, credits. That was really a question? That was clearly a ripoff. Yeah, it depends on what your definition of the word ripoff is. Yes, I thought it was a ripoff, but the thing of it is, it was sort of created for television by the same person who did that movie. Oh, wait, Amy Heckerling was involved in it? Amy Heckerling 
had the final say-so. Wow! But hey, you know what was amazing about that show? What's that? Tony Danza did the voice of the baby, and the baby's name wasn't Tony. Nope, the baby's name was Mickey. Mickey, because, get it, the baby's name and look who's talking is Mikey. We'll talk about that on another episode. Okay. The younger sister, Melissa, was played by Megan Haldeman, who, and I'm not lying, would go on to play a similar role in two other things on TV, Hearts of the West and The Home Court. What the hell is The Home Court? I know Hearts of the West was that show with um, Bo Bridges, right, on CBS? Uh, correct. And The Home Court was basically a look at Chicago family court judges and the families they both prosecute and come home to raise. And looking at it, Pamela Reed was one of the main characters. And so is Charles Rocket. Hello! Can we go back to Mary Page Keller for a quick second? Oh, yeah. All right. I just wanted to add she was on a week of match game in Hollywood Squares Hour. Nice. The week before Bill Cullen was on. So the week before... Greg, get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. So the week before... Johnny, Johnny, can you come in here for a second? Hey, Greg, what do you need me for? Oh, Johnny, I need you to reenact the time Bill Cullen was on the match game Hollywood Squares Hour and you announced him. Really? You want me to do that? Why? Look, Johnny, just do it. Okay, you son of a bitch. From Hot Potato, Bill Cullen. That's great, Johnny. Okay, you can go now. Oh, oh did we also uh, not mention that Mary Page Keller was on Duet? Oh, that's right, she was on Duet. She was uh... my first celebrity crush. With our favorite, Chris Lemon. Who may or may not be a future show hall of famer. Wait, wait. Chris Lemon is not Allison LaPlaca. That is true. Hey, yeah. are we forgetting Bo as Ruben? Or serious, are we forgetting Bo as Ruben the dog? Notice, we mentioned everybody on the cast of Duet except for Matthew Lawrence and Jody Thielen. Just saying. Oh, that's right. Matthew Lawrence was on Duet. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was not playing a guy with a fake mustache and a Texas accent like he did in Money Play. Oh, God. <laughs> By the way, hold on. Speaking of Money Playing, did you see that PFT commenter met yes, Kelsey Grammer at the Rutgers yes, game last week? Yeah. He met Fraser Crane. That's right. Who knew they were both Shiano men? Nice. And the middle child of the Wilder family, 16-year-old Brody, was played by Jerry O'Connell. He would have been coming off of doing three seasons of My Secret Identity. He's been busy since. And his wife is number one. Yes, his wife is number one on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, and that's where he's been very busy. Wink, wink, wink. Well, he's also doing the real love boat. That yep. is true. And he's doing that... some sort of drawing game. 
Oh, yeah. And then there's that show where he's jumping in and out of parallel universes. Yes. Pictionary? <laughs> oh, okay. Like we said, Jerry O'Connell's <laughs> been busy. Rounding out the cast of Camp Wilder would be a group of actors who would have been relative unknowns at the time. For example, Melissa's best friends were played by Margaret Langrick, who would be that Canadian girl from That Canadian Thing, and Danielle, who would be played by some actress named Hilary Swank, who would have gone on to be known as the titular role in the cinematic masterpiece, The Next Karate Kid, and literally nothing else. I wonder whatever happened to her. Never heard of her. Last I heard, she returns to ABC in a trip to Alaska. Really? Well, I heard she became a boxer at some point. I'm not saying the other role she did. I'm just taking the high road here. I could have said what happens to her in the boxing movie at the end, but I wasn't going to. All we'll say is, Hilary Swank deserves all of the awards she won. Yes. That's a good way of stating it. Yes, thank you. And then you have uh, Ricky's daughter, Sophie, played by Tina Majorino, who would have been six years removed from being a child in Waterworld, among other... No, three years removed, because Waterworld... God, why did I think that Waterworld happens later? I don't know. Because remember, Waterworld was 95, and then Costner had the postman, like, in 97. Oh, yeah. It's like... It's like Kevin Costner did the bodyguard. He thought he could do no wrong, and then all of a sudden, he made every bad career choice ever. But now he's back on track. He's got Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah, so everything's good for Kevin Costner these days, so... And by the way, uh, Tina Majorino, another person who's been busy. She was, let's say, on Veronica Mars as Mac McKenzie. She was in Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, as Deb. She reprised that role in the future thing on TV that was spun off of that movie. And then she was in season five of True Blood. Really? She was in season five of True Blood? Yep. Oh, my God. And she's still working to this day. She was in an episode of The Good Doctor earlier this year. Ah, The Good Doctor. Freddie Highmore's best work. Uh, I don't know. Charlie the Chocolate Factory was pretty good. Well, I'm sure some will say Bates Motel was the best, but I disagree. Yep. And then you have Brody's best friend, Dorfman, played by Jay Moore. That's right, Jay Moore. Jay freaking Moore. This was actually his first starring role, and after this show was canceled, he auditioned for Saturday Night Live and landed a role there. You could say he has a really good comedic chop on this. Yeah, there's one thing I can say about Jay Moore around this time. He was always 
very good at his craft. He was very good at his craft. It's like Jay Moore was Ryan Reynolds before Ryan Reynolds was Ryan Reynolds. That is an apt comparison, yeah, because he was very much the Ryan Reynolds of the 90s. The early 90s. Because remember, two guys, a girl, and a pizza place would be later 90s. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because 98 was two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. And then, of course, later they dropped the pizza place from the title for some reason. For some reason. And also, we have in a recurring role as Dexter, the hip motorcycle-riding, leather-wearing bad boy that Danielle goes absolutely gaga for. Hold on a second. Chico, I'm going to say it. I want you to say it. Okay. I want you to say it. All right, here we go. Say it right now, buddy. For the first time on this podcast, I'm proud to say, it's Morbin time. Why? Why did I let you say it? Why the hell did I let you say it? It's probably going to be like another year and a half before we actually cover that movie on season two of Into the Spidey Movieverse. Yeah, we're we're, we're actually we're talking about uh, Doctor Morbius from the uh, Spidey universe, and that would be, of course, Jared Leto. Yeah, the one version of the Joker we don't talk about. We don't talk about Jared Leto's Joker. No, no, no. We can talk about him in the Dallas Buyers Club, though. Yes, he too won an award for that, if I'm not mistaken. Hold on a second. When Mike said we when talking about Jared Leto, I thought he was going to say, we live in a society. Because get it? That's what the Joker says in Zack Snyder's Justice League to Ben Affleck's Batman. I know, I know, I know. Now, now Greg, wait, wait. I, I need to rebut here because you know I don't watch many comic book movies, if even any. Why would you expect that phrase to come out of my mouth? Because that's like a big meme, the Joker saying we live in a society. Oh, boy. I'll take your word for it. Oh, there you go. It's a good thing I mentioned it's Mormon time, because when we talk about that movie, Chico, in a year and a half, you know what we'll be talking about for, like, ten minutes? Leopardon. No. No, 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 no. That weird-ass scene where Matt Spiff was doing that sexy dance. It's Matt Smith. Everything he does is weird. I know, but it was so weird when I was watching that in the theater. I was, yes, I actually went to see Morbius in the theater. And for I'm the glad record, one of us did. I wanted to, but life got in the way. Well, here's the thing. I actually didn't pay money to see it. I had enough points in my Regal Crown Club card to see it for free. You lucky bastard. And I saw it for free, and I was like, dear God, after watching that scene, I was like, I felt ripped off. And I was like, I didn't pay a dime to see this movie, and I still feel ripped off. <laughs> but at least Matt Smith has House of the Dragon, so I don't feel too bad. Oh, yeah. Let's just say we're not going to be talking about Matt Smith during the, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah. yeah, hint, we're doing something in November of 2023. Yeah. More on that later. 
much later. We don't want to give too much away. No. Shh. Hey. No talking. Shh. All right. So let's talk about all of the going-ons on Camp Wilder. Now, remember, all of this is happening in media res, which means everything has already been firmly established. We have absolutely no exposition except what is going on in the pilot, which we all watched, by the way. And all I can say is that poem that Melissa sort of reads at the beginning basically sums up the entire premise. Episode 1. Bad influence. Ricky struggles to be a parent to her teenage brother and sister, while Brody doesn't want to follow Ricky's rules. Meanwhile, Sophie is afraid the Tooth Fairy will steal all of her teeth right out of her mouth. And hoping to maybe, possibly, lend some gravitas to all of this, or at least give the three siblings a common enemy, we have an appearance by Grandma Wilder, played by Beverly Garland. Oh yeah, Beverly Garland. A screen yeah. uh, legend. Yep, been in, you name a B-movie that uh, was in the theaters during 1950s and 60s, she was in it. Yeah, some of them were definitely on MST3K, I know that. Yep, uh, you got uh, the alligator people, it conquered the world, swamp women. If you want to add a mainstream TV show uh, to her resume, she was a regular character on Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Love it. Bruce Boxleitner at his Bruce Boxleitningest. Episode two. See spot go. Ricky bans the neighborhood kids from the house, which means no Beth, no Danielle, and no Dorfman. Oh, why you have to ban Jay Moore? Yeah, she uh, she thinks raising her kid is hard enough. Now she's raising her brother, her sister, and their friends. And all of this was just sort of sprung on her. This was getting way too out of hand. Probably what we thought when we saw this TV show. It's like, she's raising all these kids all of a sudden. It's getting way too out of hand. For this person, there's no character name. So uh, we'll just play it by ear. But Todd Sussman was in this episode. I mentioned him for one reason and one reason only because if uh, this has to be on the list. If not, I'm putting it on right now. He played Jack Fletcher for six episodes, and it looks like six episodes, maybe as long as this show ran, on the show Scorch. Yep, that's as long as it ran, all right. We definitely with, have Scorch on the list. So. With Scorch, Ron Lucas and Scorch. I love it. Scorch has his own TV show. Hey, why not Scorch having his own TV show? They gave a TV show to Alf. Why not Scorch? Alf, there's a huge difference. Alf is adorable and cute and funny. Scorch, Scorch is of- also adorable and funny. 
And he can breathe fire. Okay, okay, wait a second. Scorch was a backup character to a panelist on Match Game in 1990. That's my case, and I'm sticking to it. So hold on, (laughs) hold on. You know who should have been a guest star on Scorch? Did you say Matt Smith? No, no, no. Matt Smith would have been eight and living in England back then. No. I I failed to see where your argument is going, but go on. Who should have been a guest on Scorch? Ricky Steamboat. Get it? (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. That was so stupid. Yep. It was so stupid. That's exactly why he did it. Yeah, of course. That's why I'm my dad's son. You are your dad's son, after all. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hold on a second. (laughs) You want me to describe another stupid idea my dad has to improve sports? I don't think I've said this in a while. I'm. You know what? Go right on ahead. Okay. Go right on ahead. Okay. I told Mike this. Mike, you got to agree this is stupid. My dad thinks that every football game should have an extravagant Super Bowl-ish halftime show. Well, let's remember what your dad said. You give them Lady Gaga, and they'll be Gaga forever. That's right. But he also thinks that Ariana Grande is a B-list celebrity. So. But here's the thing. Wouldn't the NFL lose billions of dollars if every game had an extravagant halftime show? Yes. They would have lost billions of dollars. You know how they would have gotten it all back? How? Excessive fines for BS. Yeah. What's different between that and current day NFL? Or Amazon will give them a billion dollars a year. For <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I have a way to improve the product here, and I yet I will freely admit to uh, stealing this from the NFL memes Instagram. You put the two worst teams on Thursday night, and the winner of that game goes back on the Sunday schedule replacing the worst team of the previous week. You know what these Thursday night games need? An MST3K style commentary option with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tony Gonzalez, and Richard Sherman crapping on the game. Just remember, ESPN has the Manning brothers and they make bank. Okay? So, there's just something to think about, Amazon. Just a little something to think about. Yeah, a commentary track where they just crap on the games and people. <laughs> yeah, like, it's Thursday night. I could be out partying. Anyway. Yeah, let's continue. Where are we now? We're in episode three, The First Kiss. Woo! A boy who kissed Melissa chokes on her gum. Uh-oh. 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 So many names in this episode. It's oh, hard yeah. to tell which hard to tell which one of these jokers is the one who chokes on Melissa's gum here, but let's talk about him. Alright, so playing the role of David Seth Green. That's right, Seth Green. And you know what? I think at this time in nineteen ninety two, guys, he was in the Morky Mark Make My Video Game on Sega CD in 1992. I remember that. 
I did not think you were going to mention that. Oh my god. I didn't think you were going to remember it. Oh, I remember it because Jeff Gersman has done playthroughs on that game and it is terrible. I know. Well, this this would have been like, what, a year or so before he started doing the rallies commercials? Mm -hmm. Cha-ching! Okay. Cha-ching! So it's a little bit early, okay. And uh, playing an uncredited role, or at least an uncharactered role, somebody we talked about on this podcast before, Jared Rushton. He of the pilot for Where's Rodney? That's right. But also, he was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Remember that? And Big! And Big! Can't forget about Big. Yep. And one of the third cadre of Melissa's sort of kind of classmates is Rob, played by Blake Soper, who would go on to be a recurring character on Boy Meets World. But at this point, he was in season two of Salute Your Shorts. Wait, is he Pinsky? He is Pinsky. That's amazing, Pinsky. Wasn't he in that one band with Jenny Lewis? Was he? I don't know. Was he in a band with Jimmy? With I Jenny think it was Re- Real Kylie. Yes. By the way, his real name Blake Senate Swenson. Sounds like a name of a Georgia politician. Yeah, I was today years old when I learned all of this. Yeah, Blake Senate Swenson, or Blake Sofer to you and me was in Rilo Kylie with Jenny Lewis. By the way, he joined her band on stage in 2015 for two shows at Coachella. And oh, the that's... two of them contributed a performance to the Rock and Relief live stream in 2021. Oh, that's great. That is great. Episode four. To protect and serve. Brody and Melissa jump to conclusions about Ricky's date. I guess Ricky got tired of being the parent, so she went out with a guy named Hank, played by Drew Pillsbury. Who, as last we saw, was in 2011's Transformers Dark of the Moon. Episode 5, Melissa's Friend. Brody takes charge after Melissa cuts class. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, you would expect Ricky to be that sort of domineering parent, but Brody being the parent? It's not a good look for a 16-year-old, I don't think. But then again, this is Jerry O'Connell, so what the hell do I know? One of the guest stars in this episode was Paul Sand, and we're going to be talking about him later this month, actually. We're not going to say in which episode, but he is going to come up again in the month of October on this podcast. But aside from that, he was best known for playing Rabbi Polonsky in Joan of Arcadia and Leonard Davis in True Colors, where uh, Stephanie Ferrissey married the guy from Blazing Saddles. Episode 6, Sophie's Birthday. An emergency at the hospital leaves Brody in charge. Why you gotta force Brody into a parental role like that? This is not gonna work out well. Not even close. 
Somebody we already talked about on this show makes a return appearance on this show, playing the role of Jennifer, will be Marley Shelton. And we all know what Marley Shelton is best known for, Chico. Yes. She was Wendy Peppercorn in the Sandlot. Mm-hmm. Squints, he went all the way on her, if you know what I mean. And you can't see it, but Chico's doing the Ron Glass face. <laughs> you know. I was waiting for this episode to show up so we could talk about Marley Shelton again. Just saying. Let's take a few minutes to let Chico cool down a little bit. Here's a little commercial break for you. Pepsi can or what? Introducing a whole new way to look at Pepsi and Diet Pepsi. It's beautiful. Responsible adults aren't supposed to have fun. Wake up. We can do whatever we want. Drive racing cars to work, play golf in our pajamas, tennis on the bus, or baseball in our mother-in-law's living room. All you need is a Game Boy. It's a personal game-playing system with over 200 puzzle, action, and sports games to choose from. Hey, fun is your reward for growing up. Start playing. You really gotta get one of these. Game Boy by Nintendo. Have you had your fun today? Oh, give me a meal with a real cowboy feel and a sauce with that real western zest. My chili macaroni's great. They'll all clean their plate because this cow ham makes chili mac the best. Just add hamburger to our macaroni and thick, great-tasting chili sauce. Hamburger Helper Chili Macaroni. It's a delicious family meal. That's my brand. Hamburger Helper. Chili Macaroni. Yahoo! Makes a great meal. Episode 7, The Spirit of Friendship. Brody and Danielle trick the gang on Halloween. So yeah, it's a Halloween episode. By the way, did we mention our Halloween month is coming up soon? That's right, we're starting it in the next episode, but we'll wait to tell you when that's going to happen. Episode 8, It's a Wonderful Video. Ricky views Brody's video on a typical day in the Wilder House. It's a typical day. There's nothing really out of the ordinary. It's just one of those slice-of-life things. This whole series is a slice-of-life. This is about as meta as it gets. We're taking a slice of a slice-of-life and putting it on a video. Ricky is watching it and wondering what Brody's day is really like. Episode 9 Something wilder. 
Ricky befriends a free spirit and becomes a party animal. Uh oh. Uh oh. I'm guessing this is the role of the free spirit, but playing the role of Jane in this episode is Shannon Holt, who would have been Carrie in an episode of Seinfeld. I only bring this up because I know Greg likes it when I reference Seinfeld on this show. Yeah, what episode of Seinfeld was this? The Seven from 1996. Oh, I know what episode this is. Okay. So this is the episode where George says to Susan that he wants to name their baby Seven because Seven is Mickey Mantle's number. So one of Susan's friends decides, oh, that's a great idea. I'll name my baby Seven. And George is adamant that they stole his idea for the name. Come on. It's a fantastic name. It's a real original. Nobody else is going to have it, and I absolutely love it. Oh, well, I don't know how original it's going to be anymore. <laughs> Why not? Well, I was telling Carrie about our argument, and when I told them the name, they just loved it. So what are you saying? They're going to name their baby Seven. <laughs> what? They're stealing the name? That's my name. I made it up. I can't believe that they're using it. Well, now it's not going to be original. It's going to lose all its cachet. I don't know how much cachet it had to begin with. Oh, it's got cachet, baby. It's got cachet of the yin-yang. It's the Seinfeld universe. Anything is possible. One more name in this episode. I do not have a character name again for this person. And... You probably don't know who this person is, but we've actually talked about him in the past. Uh, Robert Allen Booth. Why do I mention that? If you go back about 270, 280 episodes ago, we talked about him because he played the quasi-producer Mueller on Nightstand. Oh, Nightstand. If if you remember, Springer had... uh, that one producer who stood uh, by the side, I don't remember what his name was, the guy with the beard and all that. That was uh, Mueller, or, or Mueller, I think it's Mueller, was the uh, the nightstand version of that producer. Okay. All right. Episode 10. Boy loses girl. Brody tries to help a homeless teenager while Danielle is obsessed with getting Sophie's ducky mug. Ducky mug. Ducky Mug! Ducky Mug. So yeah, this would be... Hey, why do you all think I'm irresponsible? I brought home this runaway so I could help her out, didn't I? And yes, she's played by A.J. Langer, but that has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with it. By the way, yes, this would be the same A.J. Langer from My So-Called Life, Private Practice, and an endless battery of future entries. Episode 11, Young at Heart. That's Young spelled J-U-N-G. As in Carl. Yes. Brody regrets trying to cheat... On a book report. I did it all the time and I regret nothing. Yeah, I got D's in the class, but they're still passing. Yeah. Your mileage, your mileage may vary on that. I'm sorry. You know what? I cheated on a book report regarding Wuthering Heights. 
that book was just not my speed. I, I think I cheated on every book report but Wuthering Heights. Good for you. Oh, good for you. And I still got a diploma. And I teach the next generation of kids. How comfortable do you feel now? But we do have a name in this episode, and that would be Dr. Shirley, played by Carol Mansell, who would, you you'd probably remember her as Ethel McDugan, the flapper who became an angel in training and then a housekeeper in Down to Earth on TBS. But hold on, Chico. I found another credit for her, because we mentioned Seinfeld earlier. Uh-huh. She was in the Bubble Boy episode of Seinfeld, where she <laughs> played the mother of the Bubble Boy, which had the greatest ending ever, where... George, Susan, and the Bubble Boy are playing a game of Trivial Pursuit. And I guess one of the answers is supposed to be the Moors, but it's the Moops. And apparently it's a misprint. <laughs> and so George and the Bubble Boy have a fight over the Panther in the Trivial Pursuit game. All right, Bubble Boy. Let's just play. Who invaded Spain in the 8th century? That's a joke. The Moors. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's the Moops. The correct answer is the Moops. Moops? Let me see that. That's not Moops, you jerk. It's Moors. It's a misprint. I'm sorry. The card says Moops. <laughs> It's moops. Moors. Moops. Moors. I remember that episode. <laughs> episode 12. A close shave. New guy Dexter punches Brody, but Dexter's good looks and cool personality impress Brody's friends. Meanwhile, Sophie wants to be a boy. You want to talk progressive? This was 1992. If I'm not mistaken, this was the first instance where we meet Dexter as played by Jared Leto. So yeah, very much ahead of this time, that particular episode, I think. Episode 13. We're moving into 1993 now with Career Day. Career Day at Brody's school makes Ricky re-examine her choices. Remember, Ricky is a nurse. She's juggling single motherhood, two siblings, and a daughter, and all of their friends, with being a nurse. So she's pretty much thinking all of her choices here. And a couple of names in this episode, uh, playing the role of Ed, Don Lake. Nowadays, he's in Space Force, but if I'm not mistaken, he was on Super Dave back in the day. He played Donald Glanz on various episodes of Super Dave. Okay. Was that the cartoon Super Dave or the series? The series. Okay, the series. Okay. The actual, actual series. All right. But he did reprise his role on the cartoon, so. Okay. And the cartoon's a future entry, too. Yes, it is. 
And then in the role of a teacher is Abette Freeman, who you would probably remember playing the role of Nurse Haley Adams on ER, the drama, not the sitcom. She also played Irma on nine episodes of Orange is the New Black, if that's your speed. Episode 14. I love you, Margaret B. Sanger. Danielle asks for Ricky's advice about birth control, which angers Danielle's mom. Melissa wants to be nicer to get invited to a party, and Sophie trains a penguin. Now, guys, before we get into any possible guest stars, do you want to know who directed this episode? I know, but I want you to say it. Say it, man. Jamie Widows. Whoop, whoop. Or is he actually in the Hall of Fame for this show? Not yet, but he should be. No, he's eventual. I don't know if it's going to be this year or uh, 2024, but... It's coming. He'll definitely get a spot. Oh, definitely. Episode 15. Bringing up Brody. Brody dates a teen mother. He's attracted to a young woman he's tutoring at school, then discovers she's a single mother. And playing that single mother, Kristen Dottillo, best known for... uh, being Janie in the Janie's Got a Gun video. But also as Detective Barbara Gianna in Dexter. Speaking of Dexter, he's not in this episode. In a role as a mom, Randy Heller, who we talked about on one of our better episodes. Second Chance slash Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah, the 1987 version of Second Chance. And Mike is hanging his head in shame. Because I really don't want to say this, but it's the first thing that came to mind when you said that. Can you find the dead guy in this picture? Oh. But also at the same time, in the back of my head, do, 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 the second chance team no! from 1987. Oh my gosh. Too many second chances. And we haven't even gotten to the 2016 second chance yet. Oh, no, no, no. That's way down the line here. We just might be the second chance podcast uh, before long. Episode 16 Forget Me Not. When everyone forgets Melissa's birthday, the teen decides to celebrate on her own and breaks some rules. No, Susan? Hold on, let me do it. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Episode 17 Love Stinks. Yeah, yeah. Love Stinks. Ricky decides to ask out a coworker at the aquatic park, believing there is mutual attraction. Playing said coworker, I'm guessing, uh, by the name of Max, is Kevin Kilner, who wasn't much. I mean, he was in Earth Final Conflict as William Boone, and he was in Home Alone 3. But that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, and we don't even want to talk about Home Alone 3. No, we don't. Even though it launched Scarlett Johansson's career, no. No, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure something else launched her career. I can't remember what. I think it was Conan O'Brien. I may be wrong on that, though. Oh, by the way, for those who don't know on the regular pod, being Peter who don't listen to Place to Be Nation, you'll find out all about that next month. And uh, in another role as Lisa is Jennifer Hale. Now, you don't recognize her name or her face, but you probably would recognize her voice. She actually played Ivy in Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego. Oh, the cartoon Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego. Yes. Not the, because uh, the PBS show was Where in the World and then Where in Time. Yes. And she was in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy TV series as Mantis, if you remember that, Greg. Oh, the animated series. Yeah. Right after the first movie. Right after the first movie. Wasn't that on, like, Disney XD or something? It was on Disney XD or something. And she also played Carol Ferris in the uh, short-lived Green Lantern animated series. What does it say that the animated series that was a result of the Green Lantern movie was better than the Green Lantern movie. Yeah, I mean, can I just say something about the Green Lantern movie? Sure, why, why is not? Taika Waititi using an American accent in that movie? I know out of all the things in the Green Lantern movie, you're probably thinking, Greg, that's the one thing that you're focused on, to which I say, yes. I hope it leads to we get Korg in a cameo in Deadpool 3. That's all I'm going to hope for. Oh, and she was also the voice of Black Cat in the original Spider-Man the Animated Series. Oh, the Fox Kids Animated Series. Yeah, the Fox Kids Animated Series, which I didn't even know. I know she does a lot of voices. I just didn't know she did that one. Episode 18, a portrait of the artist as a young Dorfman. A teacher gives Dorfman an F for his short story because it is too good for Dorfman to have been written by him. How do they not know that he wrote this? They think, oh, they couldn't possibly write. How do they not know he's a good writer? They don't know. They don't. They really don't. By the way, the teacher, Mr. Sutton, played by Jack Bannon, who... You remember as the captain in Little Big Man. He also played Art Donovan, not the football player. He played a character named Art Donovan on Lou Grant. Oh, he did. For for most of that show's run. I got a question. Do you think he ever asked Ed Asner how much somebody weighed? How how much does that guy weigh? How much does this fellow weigh? How much does this guy weigh? How much does this fellow weigh? No, you're not uh, going to. You're not going to. Nope, you're not going to bait me on this one, Letterman. You're no. not going to bait me on this one. You almost got us, but you didn't. How nope. much does this guy weigh? Oh no! And in this episode, Aunt Ida, played by Pat Crawford Brown, she was Ida Greenberg on Desperate Housewives, among other things. And one other name. Playing Muse in this episode is Jill Goodacre. The only reason I mentioned Jill Goodacre is who she's married to. Yes. Mary Connick Jr. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. 
Wow. Harry Connick Jr. Uh-huh. Don't think we've had a Harry Connick Jr. reference on no. this uh, podcast. No. We're and, long overdue for one. Oh, and I need to mention his cover of the Bare Necessities on the Disney cover album, Simply Mad About the Mouse. Great stuff. I love that. You know what? That whole record, man. That whole record. That whole record. Oh, yeah. And now, hold on. LL Cool J singing Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf classic. Billy Joel's When You Wish Upon a Star. Just saying, that is gold. All right. So we got one more episode, right? We do have one more episode. It is called That Was Thin, This Is Now. After being dumped by her boyfriend, Melissa goes on a diet, but her impatience to lose weight caused her to experiment with diet pills. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I can't joke about this. No, 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 no. And, yeah, we have a return appearance of Blake Soper as Rob, but as the guy in a drugstore, we have Charles Zucker, who you would probably remember as Malcolm in the original Teen Wolf movie. (laughs) You know where my mind went. Where'd your mind go? You didn't? No, no, I didn't. I was hoping you were going to say he played Malcolm in Malcolm. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not even going there. Not even going there. Why is my mind, like, veering all over the place? I don't know. Okay, so that is the show. And now all that's left is that perennial question that we like to ask. What happened? Because, again, you have a bunch of actors who would go on to not be any slouches. And they are incredibly talented. And they have great chemistry with each other. And they played well with each other. So what's there left except scheduling? Because TGIF was a big ratings getter and... Definitely uh, great for family watching on ABC, right? Of course. So you have to imagine that it was a matter of scheduling. Because in 1992, Family Matters would lead off the block at 8. Then you would have Step by Step. And then at 9 o'clock, you would have Dinosaurs. Not exactly as strong as the other two. And if I'm being completely honest, it stuck out like a sore thumb on the schedule. Yes, it's a well-written, well-performed sitcom. But it's in a block with Family Matters, Step by Step, and Camp Wilder. It stuck out like a sore thumb. And Camp Wilder just could not draw the same ratings as Family Matters or Step by Step. And also, if you look at what was on CBS at the time, something that we may cover in the future, Bob. A lot of people wanted to see Bob Newhart as a cartoonist. Not many people wanted to see Dorfman. Well, Bob was only there for a short time because I remember it airing on Monday nights. Well, they tried it on Fridays and it seemed to work, so. 
Well, it started on Friday nights, then it moved to Mondays. So maybe it didn't work as well as, as you say. And with CBS going with Bob on Friday nights and it succeeding, Bob was moved over to Mondays to see if it could shore up that lineup. Spoiler alert, it could not. Chuck Testa, what's your response? Nope. But that didn't help Kent Wilder's case either because, again, lead-in matters. And the lead-in for Camp Wilder was dinosaurs, and the two could not be any more diametrically opposed. So I guess you could say that the show itself suffered from a weak lead-in. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, Dinosaurs was a very good show, but if you compare it to the other shows of the TGIF lineup in 1992-93, yeah, no. I just think it wasn't much of a TGIF show. And really, I don't remember it being on TGIF. I'll admit I was working primarily on Friday nights at this point because I remember it being like on a Tuesday or so. I remember it being like on the same night as Roseanne and Full House and, and Coach and that type of stuff. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, it's ran out its entire season on TGIF on Fridays in between Dinosaurs and 2020. And historically, that 9.30 spot on Friday nights on ABC, the block as a whole was very successful. But 9.30 was a problem child. Oh, yeah, because we'll talk about that when we eventually talk about going places. Well, didn't we already sort of talk about that with I Married Dora? I mean, I know that wasn't necessarily a TGIF show per se, but... It sort of was like at the beginning of TJF, kind of, sort of. It was in the infancy, let's say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I just don't like you dissing dinosaurs. I'm sorry. I got uh, the entire series on DVD literally like an hour before we started recording, and I'm just, I can't wait to crack into it, especially the episode where Robbie roids up. No, no, no. It wasn't him being roided up, Mike. He was on Thornoids. Thornoids. Oh, I, I forget. We can't use the word steroids because this is like uh, ABC and sort of Disney Corporation and Jim Henson. So we got to use a uh, little more family sensitive words. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, it had a very, very solid premise. I thought this show did. And it was. Don't get me wrong. Really good family programming. But in mid-season, ABC decided to go a different direction, and they replaced it with a show called Where I Live with Dougie Doug and Flex Alexander. Now, why do I remember that show, but I don't remember Camp Wilder? I can tell you why you remember it. It had Dougie Doug. No, I, I, I think it's beyond that. It isn't just Dougie Doug, but... Uh, Ducky Doug and Flex Why do I remember that, but I don't remember Camp Wilder? I'm 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 sorry for going way off track, but I'm just like absolutely baffled right now. And where I live did better numbers, partly because of another show that had premiered at that time, uh, getting by with uh, Cindy Williams and Thelma Hopkins. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, which was a better fit, they thought. 
where I live did have a second season order, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was definitely on the 93 fall schedule, I remember. Yeah, it was on the 93 fall schedule, but they moved it. So, now, this is one of those things where ABC has to look at the schedule for the upcoming fall season. They have to make a hard decision. And where I live was in, and Camp Wilder was out. It was just a matter of numbers game. Where I live had more. Unfortunately, Getting By, which also premiered with Where I Live, was also out. However, NBC did pick it up for another season. But that's another episode for another day. Any thoughts about um, Camp Wilder, guys? Well, all I can say is, at least this made Jay Moore's career. And Tina Majorino's. That's true, it did make her career too. And Hillary Swanks. Yeah. She became the next Karate Kid. And she was known for literally nothing else after that. No. Like I said, I was working Friday nights at that point. This is a total blur to me. Maybe I shouldn't have worked. Maybe, as a 17-year-old, I shouldn't have been working. I should have been watching TV at home. Making four twenty-five an hour. No. Uh-uh. I would have liked to have made four twenty-five an hour in nineteen ninety-three, but then again I would have been thirteen at the time, so And I would have been yeah. and I would have been eight. Yeah, those darn child labor laws. But nobody's career died as a result of this show. Uh Matthew Carlson went on to work on shows like God the Devil and Bob. Men Behaving Badly, Sons of Tucson, Mr. Sunshine, and Alexa and Katie. And he is also one of the principal writers on a show that Greg and I love to watch, The Mighty Ducks Game Changers. I've only watched the first episode of season two so far, so... Ah, that's one more episode of season two that I've watched. I mean, I keep meaning to sit down and watch the whole season... But stuff just keeps getting in my way. Like, why? I know. I haven't watched the last two episodes of Andor, too, so. Like we said, Jay Moore went on to audition for and land one of the spots as a featured player on Saturday Night Live. Jerry O'Connell landed Sliders. Hillary Swank landed Night to among other things. Hold on. When you said Jerry O'Connell landed, I thought you were going to say something else. But I'm glad you didn't. Behave yourself! Camp Wilder was a family comedy unlike any family comedy ever broadcast to that point. Which was its greatest strength, but also its biggest downfall. And perhaps because of that, more than anything, it became just a thing on TV. Although, let's be honest, if you were 16 and you were living with your siblings, you would want to have your best friends with you, fully to act as a buffer to the whole shenanigans of it. So, imagine me at 16 
I wouldn't mind Mike and Greg coming over for dinner every single night. But how would Kiza have felt? Oh, she'd be cool with it. She is very much the Ricky Wilder of the group. Greg, she doesn't know us that well. Oh, no. No. Greg would constantly be saying, hey, have we ever told you about Herb Abrams? <laughs> but let's remember, Don Lemon is very hot, according to Kiesel. Yep, Don Lemon is a very attractive gentleman. He may not feel the same about me, but that's just my opinion. Who wants to spring on Kiesel that he has absolutely no interest in her? We already did. That ship has already sailed. That ship has already sailed. You know what was the worst thing about that looking back? Her talking about Chris Cuomo. That doesn't age well either. Oh boy. Maybe we should just stop looking at flirtatious eyes to any and all newsies. How about that? Yeah, so let's do that. Let's forget we ever talked about this. Oh, hold on. I'm getting a push notification. Oh, it's Disney+. Plus. Holy crap, we forgot to go over episodes of She-Hulk with Mike. Okay, so as of the We're going to have to do this really, really quickly, dude. Okay, as of the time we're recording this, Chico's not seen the last episode, so... No, by the time this episode drops, I will have seen it, but we'll get to that. So we'll recap 6, 7, and 8 for Mike, okay. So episode 6 starts with a wedding. A wedding. Yes, it starts with a wedding that Titania crashes... To, well, get Jen to, you know, hulk out. She basically it, fails at it. Very much so, and it drives her absolutely up a tree. And, by the way, Jen drunk dials her cousin, Bruce. Because she does not know. Because, I don't think we talked about this, in episode, like, what? Four or five or whatever. It was four. I think it was four. Bruce went off to go back to the planet he was on in Ragnarok. Because he had to take care of some business. Yep. And we also have the appearance of the Intelligentsia, which apparently is open in the MCU, but... Samuel Stearns, a member of the Intelligentsia, was not the leader yet. And of course, the leader has a bit of history with both Hulk and She-Hulk. You will see him again, though, in the upcoming Captain America New World Order, with uh, Anthony Mackie as Cap. Because remember, Sam Wilson is Captain America, bitches. Yeah, he's now the new America's ass. He is America's ass, and maybe America's guns. Who knows? Oh, yeah, Anthony Mackie's got those guns. All right, and then in episode seven, we have the return of the Abomination, a.k.a. Tim Roth, a.k.a. Emil Blonsky. So this is basically, hey, look, we're going to therapy. We're going to heal together. Yeah, because now, Blonsky, he has, like, this healing camp where everyone, like, discusses their problems and such. Oh, wait, hold on. We didn't mention what happened in the previous episode. Well, you better make it quick. Because Jen met a guy. 
Uh huh. And now the guy's not talking to Jen because there's a reason why. Chico, do you remember why? Do I remember why he's not talking to Jen? Yes. All I remember is that he ghosted her in this episode. Yes, because he took the contents of Jen's phone while she was sleeping, by the way, to the intelligentsia so they could hack into it. He just wanted info from her phone to get the intelligentsia. Yes. Well, that's a bit of a jerk move. Yeah. This was Josh, right? This was Josh, yes. F Josh, he's a bad man. He's a bad man. He's a very, very bad man. Okay, but episode eight, this is where we're going to get to the good stuff. Yeah. And frankly, this is where it all comes to a head. Because the intelligentsia orchestrates a cyber attack and discloses personal and professional details that could cost Jen everything. Yes, but before that part, Jen gets a client called the Leapfrog. And here's the thing. Remember that fashion guy from the episode five? Yes. He designed his suit. Oh, that's was, just lovely. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Leapfrog, the suit was not, like, flame-resistant. So, oh, his... His legs got burned. So he's suing the fashion guy. But that puts Jen in a dilemma because he was going to design her outfit for the uh, big gala thing. So, oh, now she doesn't have a suit for the gala thing. Oh, that stinks. But hold on a second. Who's representing the fashion guy? Uh-oh. 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 Matt Murdock. Hello. Yeah, Daredevil is representing the fashion guy. So eventually, at the end of the episode, like, Jennifer and Daredevil, they team up. They beat the bad guys and everything. And then, Mike, you're not going to believe this. At the end of the episode, okay, you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready? Can you handle this? I'm, I'm, I'm seated, yes. Okay. At the end of the episode... They bang. <laughs> and then <laughs> Daredevil does the walk of shame at her apartment. Oh, God. You know, it's at this moment where you almost wish that Jen killed somebody. At least then it would probably, you know, serve as a catharsis for the finale, which we'll go over in due course. But Yeah, but you know what? In the meantime, we're going to talk about a she-wolf. Yeah, we go- we're going from a she-hulk to a she-wolf. Wait, hold on. There's one question that needs to be answered. Yeah. What's that? Whatever happened to Madison with two N's and a Y, but not where you think it is? Oh, yeah, she's with Wong now. Yeah. Okay. And now, a- you're ca- now you're caught up. Yeah. So now you don't have to worry. Everything's fine. So, next week we'll talk about the final episode, but now, hey. Let's go from She-Hulk to She-Wolf. Yeah. 
episode 316, submission 651. She-Wolf of London slash Love and Curses. She-Wolf of London slash Love and Curses aired in first-run syndication from October 9th, 1990 to April 10th of 1991 for a total of 20 episodes. A mystical magic girl and her handler slash confidant slash paramour. That's not a new story. I mean, Josh Whedon made a killing of it with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But before Josh Whedon could make a killing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we get this. A show about an American in London who uh, gets a bite taken out of her. I can't believe I said that. Well, the story goes that graduate student Randy Wallace travels to Britain to study mythology with Ian Matheson, who is a well-known, well-respected expert in the field. And while Randy was expecting this old, dodgy sort of come-up character, we get somebody who is neither old nor dodgy. We get this very spelt, very intellectual, very sexy doctor. And the two of them enter into a bit of a relationship. But we enter into a bit of a complication. One night, while she is out investigating, or at least playing in the moors, she is bitten by a werewolf. Now, everybody thinks it was just a rabid wolf bite, and that she's going to recover and she'll be absolutely fine. Unfortunately, because this is Randy, she insists that it was not a true wolf, but something... Superhuman, supernatural, something not of this world. Okay, I'm, I'm about. Let me dial it back a bit. It is of this world, but it's incredibly weird. So she seeks Ian's help. Turns out, she was right to be a little bit paranoid because she was bitten by a werewolf. And for the rest of the show, they're investigating supernatural phenomena together. While they search for a cure for her lycanthropy, they keep their relationship secret, and they um, have to resort to the whole handler-animal 
situation once every full moon. And of course, it would be rather boring if Randy didn't meet other werewolves, spirits, a succubus, a vampire, a boogeyman, a carnival, guy box, a bookstore, a killer horseman, and zombies. 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 So yeah, it was your standard horror slash science fiction slash superhero slash speculative fiction. And the thing of it is, this thing had a really big budget, at least to start. Tom McLaughlin and Mick Garris were given a carte blanche to tell whatever stories they wanted to. And they got uh, some really good names to tell those stories. Playing the role of Randy Wallace is Kate Hodge, who would go on to become a writer for television, but is known mostly as, you know, as a character actress. She has been a that woman from that thing. Uh, if you ever remember Level 9, where she's taking on uh, cyber attackers in 2000 and 2008, she was in 13 episodes of that. She was also in the What Would Happen If Dilbert Was a Live Action series working as Chris Grant. Go figure there. Playing her paramour slash handler, Ian Matheson, is Neil Dixon, who you would recognize as a that voice from that thing. He's been hard at work on both sides of the Atlantic. And Greg, are you ready for this? He played a radio announcer in the Time and Again episode of Miss Marvel. That's right. He was the radio announcer guy on Miss Marvel in that episode. Yep. But hold on a second, guys. His most recent credit was in the Tubi original from the Asylum, Titanic 666, oh, which, is, which is the sequel to Titanic 2. Oh, dear. Oh, dear God. Oh, no. Is this something that we're going to watch in April? Well, we're watching Titanic 2 first, then we'll watch Titanic 666. Oh, oh so, so this is coming in 2024, then? Probably. Probably. Oh, jeez. You know, I haven't seen the first 664 installments. <laughs> I don't want to know what Titanic 666 is going is to spoil for me. Well, spoiler, Jack is still going to die. Oh, darn. They both could have bit on the door. Yeah, that was such BS. They could have easily both been on the door. Rounding out the rest of the cast as Dad Matheson is Arthur Cox. This was be Ian's father, who is known as a detective in Sweeney 2, Dr. Hawker in Agatha Christie's Poirot, and as Mr. Henderson on the 11th Hour episode of Doctor Who. Well, that would be uh, Matt Smith's Matt, first that was episode. Matt Smith's premiere, yes. Matt, second episode, we've mentioned Matt Smith. Yep. Playing Mother Matheson is Jean Chalice, who is best known as Miss Arnett in the original British version of Dear John. And playing Julian Matheson, who is connected to Ian somehow, is Scott Boltz, who 
actually is, unlike everybody else on this show, an American. In fact, one of his most notable roles was as Craterface Coburn on an episode of Saved by the Bell. And do you know what that means? This is just a reminder that... Zag Morris is trash! And then, as Aunt Elsa, we have Dorothea Phillips, who played Mrs. Mirthless in 2000's 102 Dalmatians, and also was on a TV show called Goodnight Sweetheart, which I watched a couple of episodes, and it was pretty interesting. It's like The Notebook, only it takes place in war-torn London. It's like an MI5 agent in London, just a regular guy in the 21st century. Pretty cool. It lasted five seasons. And playing the role of the She-Wolf, that would be sort of the Lou Ferrigno to Kate Hodges' Bill Bixby, Diane Udale. Name doesn't sound familiar, does it? No, but... But, however, she did have a couple of very notable roles. She was Jet on the original UK version of American Gladiators. And also, she was a co-host on the final season of the British version of Finders Keepers. So like we said, big talent for the for at least the first two-thirds of the season. But then something happened. They were running out of money. Yeah. And the fact that uh, the British backers, HTV, decided to pull out midway did not help matters. And as a result, uh, for the last six episodes of the season, they moved production to Los Angeles and changed up the premise. But we'll talk more about that as we get into the episodes. Okay. So we have episode one, She-Wolf of London. Randy Wallace, an American graduate student, travels to England to study under Dr. Ian Matheson, a noted British professor specializing in mythology. Matheson urges Wallace to do her own, so Randy heads to the countryside, where she is brutally attacked on the moors under a full moon by a large animal. Randy recovers from her wounds only to discover that she turns into a werewolf during the next full moon, destroying her office and nearly killing Ian to boot. Returning to the moors, Randy and Ian meet a band of word I can't say in 2022, but let's just say it rhymes with uh, Mipsies, I guess. Nipsies? What does Nipsey Russell have to do with this? You know what I mean, Mike. No, I know exactly what you mean, yes. Yes. Episode 2, The Bogmen of Lechmore Heath. Ian's aunt uncovers a well-preserved corpse from a bog on her property and asks the professor to ride to her village and determine its antiquity. Before he arrives, his aunt is brutally murdered and soon other villager is found slain, each in the manner of their profession. Randy is convinced that a blind old man with a drinking problem may have valuable information on the case 
that the authorities are ignoring. We do have a name in this episode, kind of, sort of. Playing Mr. Oates is Roger Winslet. The last name, Winslet. Kate's dad. Oh, my God. We just mentioned Titanic. And we mentioned Rose's dad. But she wasn't in Titanic 666. No, not unlike Neil Dixon. But you can watch on Tubi. So that answers the question, Tubi or not to be. Or That's Tubi right. or not to be, yeah. It's a Tubi original, Mike. Oh, it's a Tubi original, okay. Yeah. So it'll answer all the unanswered questions from Titanic 2. And presumably Titanic 3 through 665. <laughs> well, good. I didn't have a chance to see Titanic 284 yet. Oh my gosh. Episode 3 Moonlight Becomes You. Randy and Ian learn of another scientist conducting research into werewolves from a woman who claims her brother sought treatment after being bitten by a werewolf. Randy is committed to the mental asylum where the research is conducted and finds the doctor is experimenting on his hapless patients to develop a serum to create more werewolves. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's what happens. You create a serum, and you're just like, I'm going to create more werewolves. I'm just going to... More werewolves all over the place. You become a werewolf, and you become a werewolf, and you become a werewolf. Everybody becomes a werewolf. Do you have anyone notable in that episode? I'm sorry. I'm stuck on you doing Oprah there. You're about 15 years off, but you get a werewolf. You become a werewolf. You become. I'm sorry. Uh, there's there's nobody of, of uh, note in this episode. I, I think we're not going to find many people of note in this show just because there's a lot of British actors. Yeah. So we may be sort of thin on guest stars here. Well, this or is at least guests of note. Yeah, this is first-run syndication, after all. You take what you can get. Episode 4, The Juggler. Julian takes an interest in the new girl in class, Liza, whose father recently prevented a coven from practicing pagan services in his church. Liza begins to see ghosts in the church, and she turns to Randy and Ian for help. Ian believes that the coven may have raised the juggler, an evil clown, who preys on the children of their enemies and warns Julian to stay close to Liza during the Guy Fawkes Day celebration. Oh boy, an evil clown. Sadly, this was not played by Doink the Clown. I wish it was played by Doink the Clown. I, I, I don't want to pull out one of Chico's chestnuts, but does this sound like anything? What does it sound like? An evil clown? Yeah. It? Pennywise? Oh, yeah, it. Yeah, because the um, the TV movie would have been like two years. Oh, no, the TV movie would have been this year of it. Yeah, the book would have been like a few years earlier, right? It was like yeah. 87, I think, it was a bestseller. Yeah, and then you had the big ABC adaptation, I think, this year in 90 with uh, John Ritter and everybody and Tim Curry. Episode 5, Nice Girls Don't. An elderly man who claims to only be 27 years old 
An elderly man claims to be only 27 years old. Was he on the island from old? Answers Ian and Randy's newspaper advertisement and begs them for their help. While their client recovers from a heart attack, Randy investigates and suspects that a succubus is on the loose in London, sucking the youth out of her victims. Randy captures the being, but not before the succubus has attacked Ian, prematurely aging him by 50 years. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, those succubuses, they're hungry for some sex. Episode 6, Little Bookshop of Horrors. Randy and Ian investigate when they learn that two prominent publishers were murdered by normal people dressed as characters in the classic novels recently delivered by an antiquarian bookshop. The bookstore owner acknowledges that he casts a spell on the books to punish the men and women he considers responsible for driving him nearly to bankruptcy and confides to Ian that he has sent a truckload of the cursed books to members of Parliament since they passed the laws enabling chain stores to gobble up independent bookshops. Oh, so this explains the problems that Britain is facing right now. Hey, by the time you listen to this episode, there might be three new prime ministers since we recorded this. Who knows? At the rate they're going, you're right. But get it, little bookshop of horrors? What is that a reference to? I I have no idea. None whatsoever. Episode 7, Can't Keep a Dead Man Down, Part 1. Ian is ecstatic when a Hollywood movie company asks to convert his latest book into a movie until he discovers their representative is Randy's former fiance who appears to be more interested in rekindling his relationship with the lovely co-ed than negotiating a production deal with the professor. Meanwhile, Ian and Randy investigate reports of zombies rising from the grave and seeking human flesh. Uh-oh. Hey, Greg, would you believe we actually have a name in this episode? Okay, who's the name? All right. In this episode, playing Charles Bodine... Is Rolf Saxon? He's not a name in that sense where you'd know him immediately. But he's probably best known for playing the narrator on Teletubbies. Oh, that's great. Teletubbies. Again, first reference to Teletubbies in 316 episodes. Kind of a landmark moment. It is a landmark moment. And you know what? Those Teletubbies, they were adorable. You never thought we'd be talking about Teletubbies on this show. Well, here you go. Yeah. Episode 8, Can't Keep a Dead Man Down, Part 2. Randy returns to England to battle Samantha Stevens, who intends to collect the three lightning bolts of Gilgamesh so she can rule the dead. When Ian and the other zombies try to steal the last bolt from the British Museum, Randy initially manages to thwart their attack, but is captured and bound to an altar to serve as a human sacrifice so Samantha can complete her deadly ritual. Well, obviously she doesn't complete it because that would be the end of the series. So, Oh, darn. Oh, darn. Episode 9, The Wild Hunt. On a weekend getaway, Ian's car breaks down in a blighted town 
without connection to the outside world by vehicle or phone. Brandy witnesses a sword-wielding horseman behead a young man who has asked for her help and learns that the town is cursed by the huntsman, a warlock who rides through the town slaying whomever he has marked for death. When a mysterious rune made with blood appears on Randy's hotel room door, the townspeople are reluctant to help them leave town for fear of the huntsman's reprisal. Oh man, don't you just hate it, Mike, when your car breaks down a town where there's no phone or anything? And there's werewolves? Oh yeah, yeah. happens oh. to me all the time. Happens to everybody. You get your car break down and you're like, crap I'm gonna probably be attacked by werewolves and huntsmen and zombies oh darn hey we do have one kind of sort of name in this episode playing Mary is Kathy Murphy she played Julie Perkins on EastEnders oh yes EastEnders long running BBC show Long running, primarily was on in 2010, 2011, but even uh, had roles in 2005 and even as far back as 1991. Episode 10. What's got into them? Ian's attempts to convince Dr. Mason, his mentor and famous Oxford mythology professor, to recommend him for a job at the famed university are sidetracked when ghosts inhabit the bodies of Ian's parents one desperate to pass over to the other side on the 100th anniversary of her death, and the other who will do anything to prevent it, including killing Dr. Mason. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Episode 11, Big Top She-Wolf. Randy feels strangely attracted to Caleb Wakefield, the ringmaster of a rundown circus. The attraction deepens when she discovers that she does not metamorphosize into a werewolf when she spends the night of a full moon with him. Randy learns that Caleb has a steep price for this gift. All she has to do is to be permanently rid herself of the curse is to sell her soul to the devil. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Where's the whammy, Mike? Are you really bringing me out because you heard somebody say they're selling their soul to the devil? Yes. I'm not related to the devil. But your dad's the devil. We already talked about this. My dad is not the devil. But we did mention that your dad was the devil. The noodles, tell him. I am not related to the devil. Look, Whammy, I, you have some family issues. I know that your dad, we've established, left you years ago. What? The, his dad left him? He yes, got dad we, You don't remember the continuity? The dad left him. The dad was the devil and left him behind for smokes. <laughs> you don't yeah, he really pressed his luck. <laughs> oh, the Mike doesn't even remember the continuity of his own character. <laughs> Boy, he really stopped on a whammy, didn't he? He I'm sure did. For smokes. 
I'm going out. I'll be back in an hour and get some, after I get some smokes. No, I won't. You lose. <laughs> that went off the rails. You're the one who invoked the whammy. I did. That's right. You tell them, Benoodles. Yeah. Even the cat doesn't agree with you for some reason. Oh, well. Oh, and hey, we should mention this because uh, this happens on Tuesday and this episode's coming out on Thursday. But Noodles is going to turn 13 on Tuesday. Oh, that's right. She's going to be a teenager. Oh, well. That's fantastic. She's already asking for keys to the car. She's going to be the next Toons as the driving cat. No, you're not going to drive. Don't even ask. No. And don't drive off any cliffs, Benoodles. Don't do that. <laughs> Episode 12, She-Devil. Long- wait, is this about... Wait, wait. Is this about the Roseanne movie? I knew you were going to mention that Roseanne movie. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Do you know who was in? She devil the movie with Roseanne? No. Ed Bagley Jr. Oh no. It wasn't hold on, wasn't Meryl Streep in that too? I've never seen the damn thing. Oh my god. Let me just research I I never thought I was gonna Wikipedia search the Roseanne movie She Devil, but I guess I'm gonna do it. Yeah, Meryl Streep wasn't She-Devil. Oh, that's one of her, her better-known roles. Obviously, that's what everyone remembers Meryl Streep for, is She-Devil. Not anything else. Oh, wait, Meryl Streep, she's actually the lead in this movie. I thought Roseanne Barr was the lead. Oh, my gosh. Well, it obviously must have been like a marketing change to capitalize on the popularity of the show. Oh my, I, I cannot believe I brought up She-Devil, the, the Roseanne Barr movie. Oh my. Yeah, you should be like ashamed. Nobody wants to remember that. I don't even know why I remembered it. But I did, too bad. So anyhow, getting back to this TV show episode of She Devil. A lonely bachelor is killed after answering a personal ad in the newspaper. Ian and Randy trace the ad to a college love of Ian's who has developed a special pheromone potion which brings out the sexual animal in people. Hold on a second. I got a question. I don't want to have an answer, I don't think. Do you think, Mike, that the potion is eugenics? <laughs> That's about 30 years after this aired. And Frank Thomas would have just been drafted in 1989, so he had no need for eugenics in 1990. He was a virile young man. But sooner or later, now he would be interested. Oh my gosh. Great. Now we've got a She Devil reference, and now we've got a eugenics reference. 
All right. We're going to take a little break right now after the lunacy between the whammy and She-Devil the movie. But just going to give you a little heads up. The wackiest thing, maybe in the history of the podcast, definitely one of the two or three wackiest things, is going to happen in about 15 to 20 minutes uh, after we play some uh, commercials right here. Stay tuned. We'll be back momentarily. After these messages, we'll be right back. Notice the primary cup. Devastating, isn't it? has a brilliant negative capability. Over here, you'll notice, hanging upon the weapon wall, the perfect printing of life. Of the artist. Stunning, isn't it? Yeah. Starburst with real fruit juice. Mmm, I'm so glad. Tricks are for kids. Tricks? They're so sweet and fruity, just what we love. Lemon yellow. Orangey orange. Grapefruity purple. Raspberry red. The fruity part of this complete breakfast. We're so lucky tricks are made just for us. Uh, excuse me? Yes? May I please have some tricks? Please? Uh-uh. You're a rabbit. Rabbit food is for rabbits. And tricks are for kids. Hope you realize that playing with guns is an obvious cover-up for your male inadequacies. Yeah? Well, why would anyone play with dogs? Why would anyone play with you? 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 Why would anyone play with any of you? Beats us, but Burger King's got them. The Simpsons for $3.49 each when you buy new mini muffins or any size fries. To give you the Simpsons for virtually peanuts, sometimes you gotta break the rules. the show episode 13 voodoo child ian is accosted by a know-it-all student in his mythology class who claims that he knows all about the voodoo use of an obscure indian cult so episode 14 now this is the final title under she wolf of london before the format change and this is called Beyond the Beyond from February 9th of 1991. Conrad Stipe, the creator of Beyond the Beyond, is unexpectedly killed after announcing production of a motion picture featuring an all-new cast. Randy and Aunt Elza hunt down the killer among the original cast, while a reluctant Ian is hired to write the screenplay for the big screen adventure. What is Ian going to do, Mike? He's a professor at a class. What does he know about writing screenplays? Might be an English professor. Well, maybe, but his job is just to write, talk about like werewolves and the occults and all that strange stuff. Like, he doesn't probably know anything about writing a big scene in a movie production. You never know. 
Okay, so episode 15. Now, this aired a month later on March 6th of 1981. So now she Wolf of London, because as Chico mentioned, the original funders of the show pulled out and everything. So we got to finish the rest of the season on the super cheap. So it underwent a new title. And that title was Love and Curses. So you might be wondering, what is the change of this show? Well, Randy and Ian move to Randy's native California, where Ian becomes the host of a trashy TV talk show focusing on psychic phenomenon. So now the series changes direction. It's now like a romantic comedy with horror in it. And most of the romantic comedy in the series comes from the relationship between Randy and Ian. So also with the format change, Randy's transformations do not occur every episode, but only during the full moon. Probably to save on money. So this gave her and Ian a chance to look at the supernatural without having to focus on the transformations every week. Again, probably to save money. And so, he was the first episode under Love and Curses in episode 15. Curiosity killed the Kravitz. The university is phasing out the Department of Mythology, so Ian is out of a job. At the same time, an American friend of Randy's is killed in Los Angeles by neighbors whom she claimed are space aliens. Space aliens, okay. Yeah. So, okay, we're not worrying about the werewolves anymore. We're just worrying about space aliens. Maybe we're getting names now because instead of filming in London, now we're on this side of the Atlantic. Who knows? Playing Skip Seville in this episode is Dan Gilvezan. Again, maybe not a name uh, you've heard of, but if you saw his resume, very popular voice actor, he was the voice of Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Oh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And hey, next year, when we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, we are going to talk about Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And that wasn't his only voice. No. Oh, by, by no means. Uh, he voiced Slipstream on G.I. Joe. 
and Bumblebee on the Transformers. Oh, he was the voice of Bumblebee on the original Transformers. But he's done a lot of voices, primarily in the 80s and 90s, but uh, did many, many voices. Oh, by the way, I was watching TV today, and you know what was on FX? What's that? The Bumblebee movie from 2018. (laughs) Speaking enough. But you know what's so weird, Mike? What's that? At certain points of the movie, there was supposed to be somebody. But you couldn't see that person. That happens a lot on these types of movies. I've noticed that. I know. Especially in like Fast and the Furious 9. When I watched that movie in the theater, there was like a blank spot like for most of the movie. I was like, was there something wrong with the projection? I don't know. No, I, I wonder if there is some sort of CGI issue there. Maybe they forgot to fill in that blank space. This has happened a lot lately. I don't know what's going on. Oh, and I should add one more credit for Dan Gilvezan because I just love anytime we refer to this TV show. He was on an episode of New Love American Style. Oh, the New Love American Style. Not the old Love American Style because f- that It's the New Love American Style. That's where it's at. The new Love American style that ABC just put in there because nothing worked on ABC daytime from about 1984 to about 1988. No, nothing worked. Just about nothing. No. No. So they were like, oh, the new Love American style. Everyone's going to eat this crap up. Everybody loved the original Love American style. Let's bring it back. With Blackjack and Hookers. Episode 16, Habeas Corpses. Oh, no. After a taping of How Strange, by the way, that's the show that Ian hosts, in which a blonde woman reports she is the last surviving person of a vast undersea kingdom. Ian takes Randy to their new apartment. As they are touring it, a man runs into their new home and promptly dies after reporting that he has been bitten by a vampire. Ian and Randy pursue the story and end up staking the dead man's wife, who was really a vampire. The trail of bloodsuckers leads to an evil law firm where the attorneys are all undead. Oh my gosh. This is a lot of information, Mike. This is a lot to, to absorb, yeah. Do you want me to give you even more to absorb? Because we got a name in this episode. All right, who we got? Playing Alan Decker in this episode, Barry Van Dyke. I'm guessing he's related to uh, Dick and Jerry. A son of Dick. So obviously that means nephew of Jerry. But he was on Airwolf. And he was Steve Sloan for like eight seasons of Diagnosis Murder. Oh, that's right. Because that was a Dick Van Dyke joint. Right. So that makes sense. But you know what, Mike? You mentioned Airwolf. So you know what we got to play? Oh, no. I masturbate a lot. Thanks for sharing, Ernest. Another name in this episode playing Nancy Chambers is Marta Dubois. We're going to talk about her eventually because she played Princess Koji on Tales of the Gold Monkey. Tales of the Gold Monkey. Hold on a second. Is that that show from ABC in like the early 80s that had Stephen Collins on it? Yes. 
okay, I just want to be sure. Yeah. That was like capitalizing on like Raiders of the Lost Ark, if I remember correctly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It was capitalizing on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Plus also, she was on three separate episodes of Silk Stockings. Oh, Silk Stockings. We love Because we silk love our Silk Stockings references. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. After you're done with Monday Night Raw, you're going to be getting Monday Night Raw, if you know what I mean. I think I originally said that, but that's fine. I could, oh yeah, I don't, I don't care if it's your original joke. It's still good. I just can't believe you said that. After Monday Night Raw, you're going to get Monday Night Raw. Oh my gosh. In more than one way, if you know what I mean. Okay, moving on. Episode 17, Bride of the Wolfman. Randy and Ian visit the Granada Theater an hour before it is to be torn down. Once inside, the doors to the auditorium close, and a film, Bride of the Wolfman, unspools on the screen. In a flash of light, Randy and Ian find themselves inside the old film and in an old-fashioned black-and-white movie to boot. Somehow, they have entered the film, Bride of the Werewolf, and find themselves at the dangerous home of the villainous Dr. Pretorius. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. So they've somehow ended up kind of like in Last Action Hero situation where they end up in the actual movie. Well, I mean, we've had that happen on previous shows, haven't we? Have we? Where they, uh, the, the, the characters got into TV shows or movies through a TV? Yeah, Wasn't that is, kind of sort of the basis of what's Alan watching? Yeah, kind of. But this is like a whole new thing. They're inside an actual movie. Movie, TV show, big difference. Oh, yeah, I guess. Got anybody notable in this? Not in this episode, All but right. oh, the next one, I got at least okay. three names. All right, hold on. Episode 18, Heart Attack. Because as Billy Joel famously said... Working too hard can give you a heart attack. You want to know by now. A better Cupid. I knew you were going to make that reference. And you still nailed it. A bitter Cupid gone bad uses her considerable powers to destroy the lives of those she should be helping to find love. Ian and Randy get involved reluctantly as the bad Cupid, a female named Rowana, Tangles with a good Cupid, a guy named Al. And before long, the War of the Cupids ends up on the stage of How Strange, and love and hate are flying back and forth through the studio like laser bolts. All right, I said three names. I think legitimately we have possibly up to a half dozen names. A half dozen names. There are a lot of people on this episode, and I'm going to start... With playing Melinda in this episode is Leah Lale. Best known for playing Kay Simmons on VIP. Oh, VIP. The Pam Anderson thing after Baywatch. Oh, yeah, VIP. Greg, take it from me because uh, uh, I'm a little older than you. That's where you really got raw. Not on Monday nights, but usually it's like late night Sunday. Just saying. 
not from experience. Anywho, moving on. Playing Rowena, uh, who you mentioned earlier, Rowena Cupid, is Kim Morgan Green. And we've talked about her. Well, first off, she was on five episodes of Silk Stockings. Oh, my gosh. It always goes back to Silk Stockings. But also, she played uh, Channing Carter on the Colbys. And just because we have to do it every time somebody from this show pops up, she was on a week of Masking Hollywood Squares Hour. Oh, that's great. What week? I think it was the NBC Soap Week with John Delancey. So uh, in case you don't know, uh, Chico went to college with his son. That's right. He only mentions this every time. You bring up John Yeah, so, and since he's not here right now, I, I need to fill the gap. Yeah. Hold on, Chico's entering back into the room. Hold on a second. Oh. Hey, Chico. Hi. Hey, take a guess. What we just mentioned literally 30 seconds ago, it relates to you. What do you mention all the time in this podcast? Uh, uh, me going to school as John Delancey's kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're going to have to. You're, okay, you're going to have to. Bat, I'm, I'm guessing this is one of the six episodes that was shot in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay, so uh, one of the people on uh, that guested uh, on the episode we're talking about heart attack is Kim Morgan Green, and she was on Another World at this point, I believe. Definitely one of the NBC soaps. I think it was Another World, and she did a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And I said, Greg, I'm going to play the role of Chico because on the same week, this is the NBC soaps week, was John Delancey, <laughs> and we know that Chico went to. UNC with John Delancey's son, and then you come in here and you're like, Wait, you not, only, "Not only, not only did I go to UNC with John Delancey's son, we were the same acapella group." But the thing is, just by sheer coincidence, you come into the chat like 30 seconds after I mention it, and I say, "We just made a mention about you." And what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth that you went to the UNC with John Delancey's son? Special that shout out great. to Keegan. Del- <laughs> Special and, shout out to Keegan Delancey. I have not done that on this podcast. I'm doing and, it right and, now. And also, just for everybody listening, this is not scripted in any way. This is all live, unedited. I cannot believe this just happened. This may go down as one of the two or three funniest things that's ever happened on this show. Hey, Jim, what do you have to say about that whole thing? Oh, it's live, pal. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, yeah, so- and, hey, that was absolutely not scripted. I just got off of, uh, again, special shout-out to our friend Brian Hedegger. I was doing his Twitch Millionaire show, and now I'm stepping back in. That's good. Oh, stepping back in here, okay. Well, Chico, <laughs> hold on. You missed a, a weird situation with the whammy, where apparently I guess he doesn't remember his dad was the devil, and then he left cigarettes. I'm going to leave now. No. <laughs> well, you know, we have to fill for this stupid show somehow. We need to put something in to fill the time. Oh, uh, yeah. So, we yeah, we, uh, uh, we went off track with the whammy. And this whole John Delancey thing, 
is absolutely insane. Uh, oh my gosh! Do we have and, any- oh, but wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we still have uh, three more names we need to talk about. <laughs> we're, we're all stuck on John Delancey and, and Chico going to UNC with his son, but there's actually three other names we need to talk about here. Uh, we'll start shirt, with y'all. <laughs> we'll start with uh, Johnny in this episode. Uh, played by uh, a person credited as Tom Bridget, Thomas Bridget. Uh, you know him better as Thomas Jane. Oh, yes. Are we talking about the Punisher? Yes, we're talking about the Punisher from the 2000s Punisher. But also, hold on. He did play in uh, the movie uh, 61. He played Mickey Mantle in the uh, Billy Crystal HBO movie. Oh, good movie. Yes. Love that movie. Barry Pepper is Roger Maris. Fantastic in that movie. And we still have two more names, believe it or not. Playing Al Cupid in this episode, who I'm guessing is related in some way to Rowena Cupid. We just talked about him literally on the last episode. Todd Sussman. Todd yep. Sussman. Yeah, uh, he was in an episode of Camp Wilder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was in Camp Wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you may also remember... Uh, I went down a small rabbit hole because he was uh, a regular on Scorch, the comedy with Scorch the Dragon from uh, Ron Lucas uh, on Match Game 90. Oh, my gosh. Everyone I should have used Scorch. that for my money in the bank. Okay. You should have well, used too that. Too late for that, buddy. You should have used Scorch. Maybe I'll use Scorch. No, who you. you oh, oh, that's right. You haven't claimed your money in the bank yet. Uh, who knows? I got like, let's see. Or you could just pop it on the schedule, or whatever. This is our show. Remember? I got seven months to decide. So you, hey, you got none but time, my friend. You have nothing oh. but time. Oh, hey, let me also throw out, and this is an interesting uh, credit for Todd Sussman. He was the PA announcer on Mash. So when they were over, you know, speaking on the PA, he was the guy that would speak on the PA. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the yeah. guy would say stuff. Yeah. And he was uncredited on that show, but he was the PA announcer on MASH, uh, primarily from uh, 73 to 79. So that would be like, what, season two to season eight, I think? Yep. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. All right. One more name. Playing the matchmaker in this episode is Denise Miller. And I mentioned Denise Miller because, A, she played Billy on Archie Bunker's Place. But also, B, since we have our election coming up very soon, she played Jilly Papalardo on My Candidate Fish. And she was also Tina Minucci on Making It. Yeah, previous entry Make It. By the way, you have until Wednesday to vote between that, the new monkeys, and good sports. And I'm not pushing my candidate. I'm just going to be honest. Just by sheer coincidence, she happened to be on fish. Well, go fish. And also, I, 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 I'm sorry? I said, well, go fish. Go fish. Go fish. Maybe, maybe we should fish on. Oh, that's a different entry, fish no, on. Oh, no. But also, today, I, I did a little bit of a dive into fish, into the episodes that aired on decades about a month and a half, two months ago. Oh, man, that's going to be a fun episode. If it gets picked. Well, even if it doesn't get picked, it gets a slot on the schedule at some point. Yeah, that's the rule. It's like the Election Day episode is covered on Election Day week. 
but both of the runners-up will be covered in the year to come. Sometime. All right, we're done with Heart Attack. Let's move on to episode 19. Mystical Pizza. Three witches have decided to serve their foul brew to unwitting customers at a Shishi LA pizzeria. One of their patrons, Skip Seville, is fed a pizza which will turn him into a rat. Uh, how unsanitary. Randy and Ian attempt to reverse the spell and save Skip, but the witches offer Randy a cure for lycanthropy. So this is the origin, I guess, of the pizza rat? <laughs> it's funny because it's plausible. Hey, Staten Island Pizza hey. Rat's greatest minor league team nickname ever. Uh, I'm guessing this is one of the witches you talked about. Uh, I don't have a name, but is uh, one presumably which was played by Kim Lankford? I believe so, yes. No, there's no I believe so. Uh, she just isn't credited with a name, so I'm guessing she was a witch. She played Ginger Ward for four seasons on Knott's Landing. Yep, that's where I remember her from. Hey guys, last episode before the movie. What's it about? Episode 20, Eclipse. A full eclipse spurs the worst case of PLS, pre-lycanthropy syndrome, in a confused Randy. The state of the moon also causes the she-wolf to transform back and forth, seemingly at random. Hoping to get away from it all, Randy ends up in the Paradise Institute, which is actually a CIA research front. The agents there are searching for their ultimate weapon, and they may have found it in the She-Wolf of London. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, playing the role of Dirk in this episode is Greg Berger, who, again... His face doesn't look familiar, but his voice sounds familiar. Because he is a very, very prominent voice actor. I mean, we are talking about roles as Grimlock in Transformers Devastation, Final Fantasy XIII 2, Garfield, Garfield and Friends, The Garfield Show. He is basically the voice of Odie. Don't drop the ball here, Chico. He had a big name a little bit after this, about three years later. He voiced Cornfed Pig on Duckman. What? He voiced Cornfed on Duckman. He, yeah, voiced, he, he, he voiced Cornfed on Duckman. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Greg, you may want to sit down for a bit. Okay. He played two different characters. On two different episodes of Wings. Oh my god, that is amazing. Because as we found out just 16 episodes ago. For the first time on this podcast. It was the first time I ever said it. Which is hard to believe that I never mentioned it before episode 300. But I love Wings. And for those of you who don't think... That made Tony Shalhoub's career. I'm going to fight you. Yeah, you can all go to hell. Because it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Oh, while uh, we're talking about Garfield and Garfield and Friends. Related uh, to the Garfield Friends part. He voiced Orson Pig on the U.S. Acres cartoons. 
Nice. Yeah, it is a future entry the U.S. Acres cartoons. Agent Thompson of the government think tank is played by Jan Monroe, who you may remember as Captain Oliver in the cinematic masterpiece Catch Me If You Can. Which is quite notable for having three very notable things. Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, and a doctored clip from To Tell the Truth. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't Amy Adams in Catch Me If You Can? Yes. Amy Adams. Okay, four things. That's right. You show some respect on Amy Adams. I'm going to put some respect on Amy Adams' name. Can't wait for Disenchanted. It's going to be awesome. And playing Dr. Alina Horton is Barbara Tarbuck. She was Mother Superior Claudia in American Horror Story Asylum. And that's it. That's the show. I think what happens to it was uh, plainly obvious because it was a syndicated TV show. Uh, Stations could air it whenever they wanted to, if they wanted to. I don't particularly remember this show, do you? Well, I don't remember it either, but I think if it was airing here in New York, it would have probably aired on WWOR Channel 9, because WWOR was airing a lot of stuff from MCA Universal and first-run syndication at the time. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, because uh, Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this, but... She-Wolf of London was part of the Hollywood Premiere Network, which was uh, MCA Universal's sort of uh, gateway to having their own network. This was before they bought out NBC, by the way. And She-Wolf of London aired alongside Shades of L.A., which I also don't remember, and They Came From Outer Space, which I totally don't remember. I'm guessing those are going to be on the list soon. Why not? Because, sure, why not? But uh, the only thing I remember from MCA from that time period would have been My Secret Identity. And that didn't air on any local stations in my area, because I would have been living in Arizona at the time. But it would have aired on WGN. Because we would be getting just the Chicago feed of WGN. So to sum up, I don't remember Universal's Hollywood Premiere Network at all. And by the way, did I mention that this was based on a movie from 1946? Really? Yeah. And do you know who played the lead in that movie? Who played the lead in that movie? I know, but I'm going to let Greg answer. June Lockhart. Yeah. You know what? I'd believe that because it was very much not Lassie or Lost in Space, which is why I would believe that. So that's 76 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she's still alive. And she's still alive. Still with us at the time of the recording. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the Hollywood Premiere Network, uh, Greg. It would have aired at that time on WPIX 11. Okay, so it would have been on Channel 11, not WWR. Yeah, and in my area, because again, I was living in the Tucson market at the time, 
it aired on KMSB 11. That would be the Fox affiliate. But I don't pretty much remember it. I don't think it aired in this area uh, because I did a little bit of research before the show and I could not find anything on it. And I don't even, the other shows that you mentioned, they came from outer space and shades of LA never heard of either of those. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is one that uh, Cleveland decided to pass on and rightfully so. If you ask me. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, premise of both of those shows and all I can say is, yeah, they're going to be on the list, but they're going to be really hard to research. Oh, and actually, if you're interested in this, believe it or not, there actually was a DVD release of the entire series of She-Wolf of London slash Love and Curses. Yep. Universal Studios Home Entertainment in 2010, February 2nd of 2010, released uh, the entire series as a four-disc set. And we're not going to play eBay Prices Right, but I did a little bit of research before the show. You can get one pretty easily for under $20, even I think as low as about $10. Not really high in demand. So what else is there to add about this? Nothing! Absolutely nothing! Stupid! You're so stupid! Yeah, this show was kind of dumb, but you know what? This show does have a bit of a cult following. I know that. Really? Yeah. Well, obviously it's got to have a little bit of a following if almost 13 years ago it got released on DVD. Yeah, I think like reruns of this aired on the Sci-Fi Channel back in the day. So this was probably like the early days of Sci-Fi when they were like, uh, we got to put any stuff on the air. Uh, this will do, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. So again, what can we say about uh, Seawolf of London and Love and Curses? Man, it, it's almost like uh, it was gone by the time the sun rose. As soon as the moon disappeared, there went the TV show. And for that reason, just because it had a very short lifespan and really it's not finally remembered uh, by many people, it just became a thing on TV. Yeah. Indeed it did. So what else do we have to say? Oh, that's right. You could go to our website. It was a thing on TV.com where you can listen to the 315 shows that preceded this one. We got all sorts of live shows, mini sets, bonus sets. Oh, I didn't mention this, but we released last week the director's cut of the TV Fall Campaigns episode from last year. I listened back to it. It's amazing! Yeah, that's right. 45 minutes of new material that was not in the original episode. So it's an epic episode, about two and a half hours. I suggest you listen to it. And also, Chico, we survived the first port. Yep. Now we have to find a time for the second one. Yeah. We got to finish this era. So. The era of the kissing booth. We're one third of the way down, folks. But, oh, hold on a second, guys. By the time we get to Saturday, 
on the schedule, which is right now you're listening to this. It's coming out on Thursday. In two days, we will have another live show. And, guys, we're returning for the third time to the world of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. And it all fits into this being spooky season on it was a thing on TV, so... That's right. One of the subjects in this episode has a Halloween theme, so... It's very thematic, yep. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But in the meantime, you can just sit there and wait to see what we have in store for the next installment. Of it was a thing on TV. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Don't you mean? Oh! Oh, that's so great. I love it. Coming on next Wednesday's drop here on the Place to Be Nation. Hi, I'm Rosanna Arquette, Mets fan. And I'm Dana Carvey, Red Sox fan. After the game, I'll be hosting Saturday Night Live with Rick Ocasek. And we'll have to put aside our differences. 